for all those Northeast Ohio school districts that are not enforcing a mask mandate on their students, check out the Fairfield School District that had to close one week after it opened because of how quickly illness spread through the student body. While we'll the story on Cleveland.com, it's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn with Laura Johnston, whose kids just went back to school, she says <laughs> on the screen I'm looking at. Layla Tassi and Jane Cahoon, it's Tuesday and we have some news to talk about. Indeed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my kids went back to school today with masks. <laughs> so Well, that's, that's good. We'll see how long your school stays open. Yeah, no kidding. Let's begin. How significant is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's absence from the first public comment session of the commission tasked with stamping out gerrymandering in Ohio? And did he really skip it to go to a Cincinnati Bengals practice? Jane Cahoon, what boggles my mind about this story is the Constitution that we voted for sets the commission at seven members and identifies who they are. So it's not like this is some big commission. This is the first time it's operating and the governor blew it off. Well, yeah, he did attend a Cincinnati Bengals practice instead of the very first public hearings held by this Ohio redistricting commission. The first meeting was in Cleveland and then the second one was in Youngstown. Um, I should note he wasn't the only member of the commission to send a surrogate to the to the hearings. But the fact that he skipped them to watch football, I, honestly, it evoked a reaction that I haven't seen before from the from the fair district advocates who who usually are a little more, you know, cautious about what they say or perhaps diplomatic. But I mean, they just saw this as a clear signal that Republicans are not taking this public input process seriously, and they don't really care what the public has to say. So um, only three of the seven official members attended the Cleveland meeting. That would be State Senator Vernon Sykes, House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes. Those are the only two Democrats on the commission. And then Republican State Auditor Keith Faber. So in other words, Faber was the only Republican to attend in person. The rest of them sent representatives. So, oh, but, but, but stop a sec, because I, I mean, I, the, I can't stress enough how this came to be. 70% of the Ohio voters went to the polls to right. change our system for drawing the districts because Twice. they're sick uh, you know, of gerrymandered districts. In 2015 districts. and 2018, right. They, right. And so, uh, and so this, this group was created with some very specific rules about how they're supposed to do it. So, so the fed up voters set up a new process. They put the governor on the dang commission, and then he doesn't even have the decency to show up and hear what people have to say. I, I, I suspect, Jane, that the whole thing's a charade, that like last time, there's a bunch of people sitting in a room somewhere, maybe not a hotel room because that looks so bad for them, just just drawing these up with no transparency, and they're, and they're not even pretending to care what people have to say about this. I share your skepticism, for sure. Um, It was interesting to hear um, Jen Miller, the spokeswoman for Fair Districts Ohio. She heads the League of Women Voters of Ohio as well. She she called DeWine's absence a profound dereliction of duty. She said he's the leader of the state and he should be setting the tone for this commission. And what did he he say? What was his response? Yeah, this... um, 
somehow I think you're not going to find this quite <laughs> adequate. Um, his spokesman, Dan Tierney, um, said that the Bengals' uh, practice was previously on DeWine's schedule and, and that it wasn't unusual for the governor to send a staff member to these types of events. Uh, he said he attended the Bengals' practice as an ambassador for the state. Yeah, yeah. And wait, that wait, wait, the, wait, These types of events? There's never been this type of I event. Know, this I is know. the first time it's ever <laughs> I, happened. My, that was my reaction to uh, redistricting happens like once every 10 years. But I think he was maybe using a broader, you know, uh, explanation there like, oh, other events. But any important anyway. event that affects the voters of Ohio. Is that what he means? Anything that is vital <laughs> well, to I... the future of our democracy. I'm not going. Is that what he's basically telling us? Well, I don't know, Chris, but I, you know, the, the person that he sent was the, um, his, uh, uh, chief, I think his chief legal counsel and, and, uh, Dan Tierney said that, you know, the governor does intend to review the materials that, that this <laughs> guy gathered as part of the process and, uh, ha also hasn't decided whether he's going to attend any of the other eight public hearings that they have scheduled. I suspect the, the outrage factor might. Lara Johnson, are you trying to yeah, say Yeah, I just wanted to say that like one of the complaints from a lot of the people who attended, and I guess there are about 75 people there, according to Cameron Fields' story, um, that they, it was a hard time for them to make it because they have jobs. And like, this is Mike DeWine's job, and he still couldn't make yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Laura. Yeah, I was going to mention that. They, they, they noted that all of these meetings that they've got scheduled are like during regular business hours when mm -hmm. a lot of people are working and they can't make it. And um, so, so they, they would also love, were... like the ability to have that, you know, count as their pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and tell then, you, um, we're going to be ahead. all over these maps when they finally come out. We're going to be all over this because I don't trust this process at all. This is this is really pathetic. This is one of the most important things that could be done to to have some faith in government and the fact i mean i salute keith faber for showing up i mean yeah, he was the yeah. one guy that actually took his job seriously and came to hear what people had to say um i i'm astounded you know, i think i'm not sure because um you know the uh senate minority leader kenny yuko he was the one who i believe named vernon sykes to be his representative on this commission so i think that these officials could have named someone as their official representative but instead they just blew off the meeting and and sent somebody else you know actually i, I thought we looked into that and found that that they couldn't we should well, look I, again well, i don't kenny yuko named vernon sykes to 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 be the the senate minority right. representative the, the because two, of the, his vast experience in in the two legislative people, I believe, had that ability. But I thought yeah. we looked into it, and somebody, because I, I said this in the beginning, what, why aren't they, why aren't they doing that? And yeah. the answer came back that that it's not as but easy. But I guess as all that's that. beside the point. I mean, your point is these officials were named. This was this is now in our constitution. These officials were named to the this you know important responsibility, and you know. And he doesn't to... and he doesn't care. I mean, he'd rather go watch a football practice, not even a football game. He's standing on the sidelines watching a practice. I, I really I, I, I'm, the I find optics this are just terrible. Absolutely it, it, terrible. I, I wouldn't have predicted that he would do something that dumb. But, you know, it's it's Ohio politics. You're listening to this week in the CLE.
Are we expecting any revelations about county government as the trial begins today of Ken Mills, who was in charge of the county jail as it headed into a period of unprecedented deaths of inmates? Laura Johnston, it's really not so much that Ken Mills appears to be in trouble. It's the whole administration of Armin Budish that seems to be on trial here, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be fascinating to watch, I think. It's going to be a dissection of jail dysfunction day after day, delving into this big wigs of county government. So I, I just, the number of people they're planning to call to the stand over the couple of weeks, it'll, it's just a parade of high profile people, including Armin Budish um, and former Sheriff Cliff Pinckney and Gary Brack, the former Metro Health nursing director who set off this entire investigation in 2018 at a county council meeting when he yelled about how the hiring of nurses were blocked. So I feel like it's going to be explosive. And we're going to have Corey Schaefer there every day, multiple times a day, letting us know what's going on. But um, Ken Mills is accused of mismanaging the jail and lying to county council in the run up to those historic number of deaths in 2018, which is what kicked off this entire thing. All right. So the, the in the backdrop of this is a criminal investigation of Armin Budish that, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about before. It's pretty much bogus. It was almost like a vendetta of the county prosecutor's office that moved to the attorney general's office. It never made any sense that that the incompetence that has marked the Armin Budish administration would be criminal. But nonetheless, there is a criminal investigation going on. His lawyer is the former U.S. attorney, Steve Dettelbach. So Armin Budish is going to be called. Corey believes he's going to be called today. Mm -hmm. Does he take the fifth to protect himself from this criminal investigation? I mean, how devastating would that be if, to a to a political career if the county executive took the fifth? On the other hand, anything he says could be used against him in this criminal case. Yeah, it's a really fascinating question. I can't wait to see what happens and what these these people say. Jury selection is happening right now. Um, judge Patricia Cosgrove, she's retired Summit County Common Pleas judge, has overseen the case since 2019 and is presiding. So prosecutors are going to plan on digging into how Mills was hired. I mean, that's a, a a, a mystery in itself because he had worked for County Executive Ed Fitzgerald. Um, then he had never worked in a jail and he was hired of the director of regional corrections. And there's all these different points Corey points out in a really great preview that's on cleveland.com today about all the stuff that this could dig into. And who knows where this trial is going to go? Yeah, it's really, I mean, Ken Mills is the guy on trial, but it's really about so much more than that. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see how it develops today because there's some key people coming in today. Cleveland.com will be covering it all along the way. Follow us on our website. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. All right, this is a fascinating story. How can former Cleveland City Councilman Ken Johnson win re-election this year even though his recent felony convictions prohibit him from serving on council. Well, Tassi, I, I, I still can't believe this, this works this way. What a wacky system uh, we have. It might end up that the people who vote in this election are not actually choosing their council member. That's exactly right. This is so crazy, but true. So Ken Johnson was convicted earlier this summer on, I don't know, roughly a bajillion corruption-related charges. <laughs> <laughs> but he has not removed his name from the ballot to represent Ward 4. At first, you know, when we noticed that, we were like, you know, is that, a, is that an error? Or maybe they printed the ballots and, you know, before he was convicted. So we asked, you know, the Board of Elections for some some clarity. And the, the response that came back was started off with, 
well, it's complicated. <laughs> so the law says, the state law says he can't hold office because felony theft is one of those charges that disqualifies someone from that privilege. But according to the city charter, the only requirements to run for office are that you live in the city and that you are a, quote, qualified elector, meaning you have the right to vote. The Ohio Secretary of State advises boards of elections that a felon's right to vote is lost once they're sentenced. So at the moment, Ken Johnson hasn't been sentenced, so he remains a qualified elector, and he won't be sentenced until at least October 8th. And voting is already underway in the primary. Johnson is one of 10 candidates. But by October 8th, we will be well into early voting for the general election. And Ken Johnson has a really strong following in his ward. I mean, some people have been like, oh, well, you know, he, he's, he's convicted of all these corruption charges. Of course, he doesn't have a chance to win. You are wrong. <laughs> Four years ago, he crushed the competition in an eight-way primary. And a lot of people love this guy because for 40 years, he bought them off with gift cards and he used the Buckeye Shaker <laughs> right. CDC's resources <laughs> to cut their grass. In a, in, right. In a vehicle that said, courtesy of Ken Johnson, he was sending you know CDC resources to cut their lawns. So could he feasibly make it through the primary? Absolutely. Could he win the general so long as he remains a qualified elector? Absolutely. But then what happens? Because the law says he can't hold office. Well, in this case, the city council would appoint someone to fill the seat. Can you believe that? So basically, a vote for Ken Johnson is a vote for letting the city council choose the person who will represent you. <laughs> well, isn't the problem here that there are so many people running that it will be hard for any of them to get the votes they need? If this were a two-on-one oh, yeah. thing, those two candidates could spread the word. He's a criminal. He's been stealing from you for years. Don't vote for him. But with so many people on the ballot and with his name so well known, remember, it was on the recreation center there until his disgraceful conviction. And then they took their, took it off. I, I just I think he'll prevail and he'll be right. in the general election. I, why does Cleveland not change its charter to say once you're convicted, you're done, you're off the they ballot, should. you can't run. And it's a it's a ridiculous they system. Should. I think this is I mean, this really is. We've never seen this before, though. For this to happen really requires impeccable timing. Had Johnson's trial taken place just a couple of months earlier, he would be sentenced by now and his name would not. You know, it would have been struck from the ballot. But here he is refusing to acknowledge his guilt or walk away from this election, even though he can't hold the office and he's ruining it for everyone else. I mean, I actually think that even in the best case scenario, imagine imagine he doesn't make it through the primary. But he has already siphoned votes from the other nine candidates. He's already ruined the outcome. We don't know how, who, if, if you, people, I mean, people will vote for Ken Johnson. People will see his name on the ballot and think that the law is on his side, that he, oh, he must be, uh, he must be allowed to run again. And sure, I'll vote for Ken. I mean, that has already affected the election, especially when we know how poor the voter turnout is. You well, could it's... end up with two people who, who uh, or, or, you know, the winner of this election might be someone who got like seven votes. <laughs> but because... it's up to the candidates to, to drum home that he has never been about serving the people. He's been about serving himself. He's a thief. He everything he did was to enrich himself and fill his pockets with cash. And, and so those other candidates have a responsibility to hammer home just how bad a, a, an elected leader he was. And if they fail, then he's going to be on the ballot and they will have not done the public service they can do here 
by spreading the word. We've yeah. certainly covered this in every way possible. Ken Johnson is a crook. He's been a crook for a long, long time. He has stolen that word blind. They, they need to know that. That needs to be driven home. Bob Higgs is following up today, tomorrow, sometime this week with another story where he's he's spoken to the other candidates. <laughs> so everyone will hear from from them on how they feel about uh, their chances against this, you know, ghost of a councilman who can't hold office. In the future. Isn't that crazy? They're not only just running against each other in a good faith election. They have to run against a guy who can't even hold the seat and they have well, to, they have to campaign against that. That's I wonder if this becomes part of the mayor's race, too, because Kevin Kelly was council president for a lot of the years that Ken Johnson was stealing the city blind. You know, he why not move to fix this screwed up system? I, I would imagine that the other candidates running for mayor, the more Ken Johnson's name appears, are going to be pointing at him saying, why didn't you do anything about this? Why didn't you fix this? I mean, he'll try and claim, as soon as I knew about it, I fixed it. But, you know, it took us doing the work to to show it was there. He should have been doing the work to show it was there. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why isn't Ohio Governor Mike DeWine joining his Maryland counterpart in calling on the federal government for immediate deployment of the coronavirus vaccine boosters for all? Jane Cahoon, Israel's been way ahead of us by about a month in timing, and they have found that giving those boosters does miraculous wonders in boosting the immune systems of people to protect them from the Delta variant. Yet, Mike DeWine's not going to get on the the party bus to try and get us the, the immunity earlier. This is true, but basically they're following guidance from the Federal Centers for Disease Control. Um, and and they say that for uh, the next month or so, only immunocompromised people should get this third COVID-19 shot, um, as you said, as this highly contagious Delta variant spreads. So they the CDC says that starting September 20th, it's going to make booster shots available to individuals in the general population. And that would be like eight months after um, they got the shot. And um, so Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who you referred to, he thinks that federal authorities should allow states like Maryland to just start administering these booster shots to like seniors and other vulnerable populations. He said, you know, we can't wait the eight months. We can't wait that long. Um, But Governor DeWine's spokesman, Dan Tierney, said that, you know, as I said, they're following the CDC recommendation because they don't have any data, they say, that that contradicts it. So, but he did note that, you know, many people in these vulnerable populations that Hogan is talking about, maybe they're immunocompromised and, and could currently qualify for a third shot. So he encouraged people to talk to their doctors if if they wonder, you know, if they already do qualify. Yeah, the, the, if you look, it's pretty restrictive who's allowed to to get that yeah. now. I'm I'm with the Maryland governor. Although they don't police it. <laughs> I, I No, right. I know people can go in and say I'm immunocompromised, but I, I think they, I want the shot now. So I'm with Maryland. So you, <laughs> if they make it available, I'm going there. Can I ask a question? Listening. I just, yeah, I, I just want to jump in. It, Chris, you, I feel like you are probably like the, the person I know who, who consumes all all the the news available about the <laughs> about this stuff. So I'm wondering if you know the answer. Have they adapted this booster to address the Delta specifically? Like, not is yet. There, 
Okay. No, this is just, it's a third shot of the existing vaccine. I think they're working on that, but, Mm. but what they found in Israel that, that it worked, it's like a 10 times boost. I mean, it increases your immunity by a factor of 10, um, especially in older people. And I mean, we're, we're in for trouble if we don't boost our immunity because they also found in Israel that it tails off. So they're seeing people uh, in hospitals who have coronavirus who are vaccinated because they can't fight it as well. That's why they've started doing the boosters there. I feel like this is like a power pack that you get in a video game where you can just like watch your like <laughs> your <laughs> life go back up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I, I'm all for it. We, we need to get there. And we asked that question to Mike DeWine, hoping he'd say, yeah, that's a great idea. But he was too busy watching yeah. the Bengals. Yeah. Yeah. You beat me to that punchline. <laughs> I was trying not to step on your your, your line there, and I should have because I would have gotten that laugh. You you would have gotten it. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why did Cleveland City Council members call an incredibly rare, even possibly unprecedented special August meeting to discuss spending the federal stimulus windfall? Layla Tassi, this was weird. They didn't really do anything. <laughs> no, it seems yeah. like this is they're all running for re-election. They're all scared to death of losing. You know, Kevin Kelly's running for mayor, the council president. It seems like this was a political stunt. And they never meet in August. They're like, they have one meeting each month in the summer and they don't do any other work. So what is this? <laughs> this was weird uh, because Mayor Frank Jackson had had just dispatched his chief of staff and finance director, Sharon Dubas, to go to the council table a week ago and answer all their questions about the stimulus spending. It was all the nuts and bolts stuff, you know, rules on what you can spend the $511 million on and stuff like that. She said that she would be back by August 31st to lay out, you know, to discuss a more concrete plan because that's the city's first reporting deadline to the feds. Okay, the next day, Council President Kevin Kelly and a few other council members kind of, they call this press conference sort of out of the blue and on the steps of City Hall to announce they're giving $5 million to the food bank. All right, great. A few days later, Kelly calls this special meeting to talk about the stimulus money. So we're thinking, oh, they must be getting close to finalizing the plan for that end of the month deadline. We're expecting, you know, the administration will be there and this will be a big announcement laying out all the deets. But that wasn't the case at all. They just had yet another spitballing session where council members tossed out a few half-baked ideas for spending with no real idea on who would execute them or how much they would cost. And there were things like broadband infrastructure, investing in parks and recreation, the wish list, basically. And these are the same ideas to the same level of depth that we've heard them discuss before. And Jackson's people weren't there and they gave no indication that they would be moving ahead with another with, you know, any of these other items on the list. It seemed the only person who was prepared to have this discussion was Kevin Kelly, who's running for mayor. He opened the meeting by outlining his, you know, six point plan, (laughs) all his priority areas, revenue recovery, crime and safety, food and security, broadband, lead paint mitigation, blight elimination and jobs. The other council members were kind of like, why are we here and why isn't the administration here? And can we have a little bit more of a heads up next time you call one of these meetings? And it made us wonder whether this was a campaign stunt, to be honest. It yeah, felt well, a little I'm bit like the Kevin it, Kelly show. <laughs> it was a campaign stunt. Kevin Kelly is trying to use that money to, to get some traction in his campaign for mayor, get some momentum. But what was disappointing, you said with the same level of depth and there's zero depth. I mean, yeah, if that's I were what a I mean. city council person, I would come in with a fully developed lead paint program or totally. a fully developed 
uh, infant mortality. Per- yeah, I mean, it's not it, part of your job is to do that. The, the council is that runs the budget. They're the ones that set the budgeting priorities and they are supposed to come up with stuff. And what I was really disappointed in the story was the council members whining that they needed the administration at the table to know what they can do. They don't need the administration to know what they can do. They can set the budget priorities. We're going to put $20 million into reducing lead paint. We want it to affect X number of houses. Here's how we think we can do it. And we can create, you know, a, a new renovation business in Cleveland. Lots of houses need renovation and this will train them to do it as they go into the houses. There's nothing. And so I, I this did feel like the Kevin Kelly campaign yeah. losing some altitude, even though they have all the money <laughs> getting together and saying, hey, well, we got five hundred and eleven million dollars to spend. Let's get Kevin in front of that and have him spout off on a bunch of nonsense. There's nothing specific. I've never seen politicians who were slower to spend money than these guys. Do you <laughs> it's know, like, it's so funny, though. Robin Goyce, and I were joking about this while she was writing the story that that so they were all just kind of, you know, doing their spitballing and none of them had any projection on how much any of their ideas would cost. However, if you are a member of the public who wants to contribute an idea through the online portal for how to spend the money, you have to say how much that your your idea is going to cost. <laughs> that's great. That's a great detail. That's that's a good one. Well, they're all scared. They're running scared. They always run scared when they're running for re-election. There's some organized efforts to have challengers beat them, and they all want this money to somehow boost them. This was kind of a sad spectacle. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why are Summit County health officials so far ahead of Cuyahoga County health officials in coronavirus vaccines programs? First, their hospitals mandated vaccines for employees. Now the health board is doing something for the public. Lord Johnston, first I wanted to go to Maryland because I might get the the booster (laughs) earlier. Now I want to go hang out in Summit County because it seems like they care about safety. Well, they, you could ask why Cuyahoga County isn't on board with this, but we've, we've raked over the coals plenty of times, the uh, county board of, of health. So yeah, Summa and Akron Children's Hospitals already require vaccinations for their staff. Now public health of Summit County is offering, which by the way, partners with Akron. So they don't have two health boards in their county. They only have one. So maybe that's why they don't have to spend so much time on bureaucracy, but they're offering a hundred dollar visa or MasterCard gift card to any Ohioan who receives the first dose of COVID starting uh, COVID vaccine starting August 27th. So sorry, if you've already gotten one, you're not going to be eligible, but you can be from anywhere in Ohio and come to Summit County, get vaccinated um, on that August 27th vaccination clinic. They will have all three vaccines available so you can pick which one you want and get your gift card. And the money came from the state with the stipulation it be used to encourage residents to get their first shot. They about a thousand cards to give away. I keep hearing from people in the Cleveland area that are upset about the hospitals in Cleveland not mandating vaccines. There's even been stories of people going into a room for a procedure and saying, hey, before we start this, is everybody in here vaccinated? Mm. And a nurse or a doctor or somebody will not have been vaccinated. And I say, well, we're not doing this then. I don't get it. Hospitals across the nation have have mandated this. Cleveland is supposed to be one of the most significant health leaders in the nation. Yet none of our hospital systems have mandated their staffs get vaccinated. I thought yesterday would be the key. Once Pfizer has full approval, it's no longer emergency approval. They would say it. Okay, do it. But we didn't hear from them. 
No, just, and I want to point out the VA has been very strict saying that they have to have vaccinations and obviously they have a hospital in Cleveland, but right, not the big three. I don't know what they're waiting for, except maybe they don't want to make exceptions. They don't want to say, well, this group of employees has to be vaccinated, but this group doesn't. And I'm sure that they are having the same kind of tough time that every business is having hiring people, right? I mean, we're talking about people that work in the cafeterias or janitorial staff, those kind of lower wage jobs probably have a lot of openings to fill if, if it's like every other industry in America. And, you know, you put the bar of having to be vaccinated, then you're, you're you know, lessening your pool of employees. I think they're worried, too, that because the, the minority populations are slower to get the vaccine, they're worried that they would be removing from employment people on their staff who are in the minority categories. But they're health agencies. I mean, mm -hmm. you would think that they'd say, look, this is who we are. We need to, to get people vaccinated. Others have done it. Uh, right. and, and you're seeing more and more employers do it because they just don't want the headache of having the uh, coronavirus circulate through their staffs. It's just fascinating that Summit County is doing it way ahead of Cuyahoga County. I just don't get the, I mean, Metro Health, Cleveland Clinic, UH, none of them have made the call. Uh, and I think other businesses in Cleveland, from what I hear, are kind of waiting to see if they do it because they might follow suit. I don't know, strange times, but a salute to Summit County for taking action. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Let's squeeze in one more. How are some people in Columbus trying to use truth to derail the runaway train that is the wedge issue of critical race theory? Jane Cahoon, they're trying to use facts to stop that runaway train. <laughs> Go figure. They call this Speak Out for Honesty and Education. It's uh, two left-leaning groups, the Ohio Federation of Teachers and Innovation Ohio. They're hosting this hour-long discussion online tonight, you know, saying they need to correct all this mis misinformation that uh, critical race theory is being taught in Ohio public schools, which it it really isn't. They also kind of want to sound the alarm about a couple of bills uh, in the legislature that, um, you know, bans the teaching of certain concepts and, um, that they think could be so broad that they might lead to courses being canceled like they have been in other states, you know, anything about like diversity or current events. We've seen other districts in other states just, you know, cancel that. But it's anyway, pure hysteria. Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing is pure hysteria. Eric Isaac's story pointed out this week, this isn't being taught in Ohio schools, period, right. end of story. And yet all of these crazy people are going to scream at their school boards about it. It's nice right. to see some groups coming out of the woodwork to stop it. Got to move on. It's this week in the CLE. We're over time. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Jane. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs>